Hey, welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We hope this helps you to know God better and to trust Him more. To keep up with us or to get more information, visit celebrationchurchlive.com. If you have a Bible, I want you to turn over to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. I'm going to preach a message that has been branded on my heart for a few months now. Um, I initially preached it at our young adult ministry at the beginning of the year. Um, I have since preached it around the country. Um, I have the privilege of getting to travel all over this country alongside with my wife. Our family gets to travel and I preach, um, which this afternoon we will be jumping on an airplane because I'm preaching tomorrow night in Alabama. Alabama, and so uh, just be lifting us up in prayer, but we are here this morning excited to preach uh, this message that has been so heavy on my heart. With that being said, I want you to go to Luke chapter 6. We'll start reading at verse 13. If you don't have a Bible, look to the screen. It says this, and when day came, he being Jesus called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Then it goes through the names of the 12 apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, Andrew, his brother, and James and John and Philip and Bartholomew. Whoever heard of Bartholomew? Okay, it's like he he doesn't get much screen time at all in the Bible, uh, but he was still a disciple in Jesus' name. Okay, Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. And Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. This morning, I want to preach a message that I'm calling this, This Isn't Working. This isn't working. And if you need a longer title than that, if that's too vague for you, I'm calling this message, Why Following Jesus Isn't Working. Why Following Jesus Is Not Working. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you now for the couple moments we are going to share coming around your word. God, I'm asked that you would speak with authority this morning. Speak to the things only you have the authority to speak to. Lord, I'm asking that what is said this morning would align with your word, that there would be nothing off base, there would be nothing false. Lord, we only are here for truth. Lord, I thank you that if there's anything I have planned to say that is not of you, help me to forget it. Help it to fall away. But Lord, if there is something that you want in this 11 a.m. service for these people under the sound of my voice, even if it is prophetic in nature, God, I'm asking you to say it. Speak a word in season. Minister to your people this morning. Put me on like a glove and do what only you can do, God. And it's in the mighty name of Jesus that I pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. My son, who is on the front row, his name is August Rhodes Clark. Strong name. Strong name. If you want to argue with it, you can email me at Clark at I don't give a rip.com. All right. Please, I will be eagerly anticipating your email. All right. Strong name, August Rhodes Clark. August Rhodes Clark turned five months old yesterday. Turned five months old. You guys are so much kinder than the 930. I had to like egg them on to give my son a hand clap. Turned five months old yesterday. He is the size of a 12-month-old. Okay, he's in the greater than 99 percentile for both height and weight. Okay, he's a massive young man, all right, (laughs) with a massive call of God on his life in Jesus' name. But he was born, amen, he was born five months ago, okay, which means 
Six months ago, I was putting a lot of Ikea furniture together, okay? Six months ago, I was busy putting Ikea furniture together. This kid had accumulated more furniture than people who have been born, and he was not, okay? It was a ridiculous amount of furniture. So I'm sitting there with my Allen wrench, you know, because that's all you need for Ikea furniture. It makes guys like me who are awfully unhandy feel handy for once in their life, all right? So I've got my Allen wrench, and I'm putting these things together, and Finally, it came time to put his crib together, which he has still not slept in, young man. (laughs) Bought you that crib. You still haven't slept in it. I'm putting this crib together. We bought from Ikea. Now, I love Ikea. Now, Ikea is not, it does not bring you this sermon today. I'm not sponsored by Ikea. I am getting no royalties off of this, okay? I just love Ikea. They put the maze in amazing because it is literally a maze to go through that place, all right? They make sure you see everything they have on sale, which is awesome for my wife and horrible for my wallet, okay? Just catch the alliteration, wife, wallet, I'm a preacher. (laughs) Horrible for my wallet. So we're going through there. We buy this crib. I'm sitting at home. I put together all this furniture, and now it is time to knock the crib out. I'm going through. I got my Allen wrench, and I'm putting this thing together, and all of a sudden, I get to step five in the instructions, And I go to put it together, and the the instructions say that these two holes should meet. And I look at my crib, and there's only one set of holes. Like, it's not lining up. And so immediately, you can imagine, I am so mad at Ikea. I'm like, Ikea, you sold me a defective crib. You daggum sold me a a defective crib. I'm sitting there. I'm like, I've got to go all the way back to Round Rock, okay? Because Ikea doesn't let you ship anything. They want you coming to their store because it's a trap. Okay, they want you coming back. All right, so I'm thinking I got to drive all the way back to Round Rock with this defective crib, grab a crib that's no longer defective, bring it back, and make my way all back, all the way back to step five. I am calculating all the money it's going to cost in order to get rid of this defective crib, and I'm sitting there irritated out of my mind that IKEA would sell me a crib that doesn't work, and then all of a sudden this little voice, okay? And I'd like to say it was the Holy Spirit, but I'm really not sure, okay? But all of a sudden, this voice told me, look at the, look at the instructions again. Thank you, son. Look at the instructions again. And I look at the instructions, and I realized step number five wasn't working, not because my crib was defective, but because I had misassembled step two. I had gotten off on step number two, and that was causing step number five not to work. So all of a sudden, I have to do the disassembly of shame. You can imagine. I bust my Allen wrench out and have to undo all the screws. I, had, I don't know who I was like trying to flex in front of, but I had bore those screws down tight, okay? Like, my son's going in here. And I had to you know, nearly break my Allen wrench doing the disassembly of shame, fix step number two. And would you believe after fixing step two, step number five fit like butter, okay? I don't even know how butter fits, but it fit like butter, all right? Just wham. You see, the problem wasn't that I, bu- I was sold the defective crib. The problem was that I had gotten off along the way of following. I had gotten off somewhere along the way. And I think there are many of us in here today who are frustrated following God because certain things we were told are supposed to line up aren't lining up. 
certain things we were told were supposed to work, we're supposed to jive, aren't jiving. And can I just encourage you, maybe it's not that following Jesus doesn't work. Maybe it's that you've gotten off somewhere along the way. Maybe it's that somewhere along the way, God called you to zig and you zagged. Maybe it's that somewhere along the way, you picked up an idea that this Bible never taught you, that this Bible doesn't back up. Somewhere along the way, you called yourself to something the Spirit of God never called you to. Maybe it's not that following Jesus doesn't work. Maybe it's that we're not doing the work he has called us to do. And I find a moment here in Luke chapter 6 where we get a window into a man's life who for him, following Jesus didn't work. There are many people in which for them following Jesus doesn't work. And if you would feel this morning that your relationship with God seems to be defective, things aren't lining up, I believe that this sermon is for you. I want to preach about this isn't working. In Luke chapter 6, we find Jesus, and he's gathered all his disciples, and he's picked from among them 12 who he will name apostles. And then all of a sudden, Luke begins to list all 12 of them. And it starts off with Simon, whom he later named Peter. Then it says there was James, the son of Alphaeus. And then the last name mentioned is Judas Iscariot. Judas Iscariot. But what I want to call your attention to is, is Luke does not just say, and Judas Iscariot, period. He places a comma and then adds a little anecdote about Judas. He says, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. He became a traitor. Now, if, you live in, if you've lived and grown up in the Bible Belt and come to church all your life, this is not a shock. Because in our culture, the name Judas has become synonymous with traitor. Someone calls you a Judas, they are calling you a backstabber. They are calling you a betrayer. They are calling you two-faced. The name Judas has become synonymous with traitor. But here's what I want to call your attention to. Luke, which by the way, this is Dr. Luke, who also wrote the book of Acts. He, he's a medical professional. He uses very precise terminology. If he uses a word, he meant to use that word. And notice what Luke does not say. He does not say, and Judas Iscariot, who always was a traitor. He doesn't say that. He says, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. I didn't write it, I just, I just found it. This is why you can't just read the Bible. You gotta read the Bible. You gotta slow down. Because it doesn't just say as you and I would think, he always was a dirty rotten traitor. No, it says he became a traitor. As if to say at one point the apple wasn't bad. As if to say the man we all know him to be, he was not at one point. But over time, things began to go awry. Here's how I know that Judas signed up out of a good motive to follow Jesus. Here in Luke chapter six, Jesus is not Jesus. He's not, he is Jesus, but nobody knows it. 
He's still very early on in his ministry. In this moment, Jesus is not the guy that has this global ministry. He's not the guy that has village people running and telling that about what Jesus has done. He's not a guy who has a lot of a big entourage and a lot of money in the bank and a, 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 a miracle tour booked for the fall. He doesn't have those things. In this moment, Jesus is a dropout carpenter walking the Sea of Galilee, calling, failing, floundering fishermen to come and follow him. Yet even though Jesus didn't have the trappings of someone who was successful, something about him spoke to Judas. Something about him called unto Judas. Judas signed up to follow Jesus for Jesus. But here's the problem. Jesus didn't just do one year of earthly ministry. He did three. And though Judas may have signed up year one out of a good heart, over the three-year span of following Jesus, he became something he did not start out as. And here's what I want to ask you this morning. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? You are becoming something. My dad told me this when I was growing up and it has stuck with me all my life. He said, Keenan, life is like a current. Life is like a lazy river. You are either intentionally by faith walking somewhere or life and the devil are tragically taking you somewhere, but there is no standstill in life. You don't got a pause button. You can't pause the relationship with God that you have. It's not that, oh God, I'm gonna pause for a bit, party for a bit, do my thing for a bit, and then I'll come back when I'm good and ready. I'm gonna go sow my wild oats. Let me tell you this, if you're sowing wild oats, what do you think you're gonna reap? If you're sowing wild oats, what kind of harvest do you think you're gonna reap? There's no pause button on this thing. You are becoming something. And Judas is proof that you can sit in the church and become the devil. Judas is proof that you can occupy a church blue chair and still end up looking like the devil himself. And this is why it's not just about church attendance. It's not just about getting in the church. It's about what's in the church getting in you. It's about he who is the head of the church seeping and creeping his way into every nook, cranny, pocket, corner, and crevice of who you are. It's not just about church attendance. It's about God's presence. You can sit in the church and be being actively discipled by the devil. Judas is proof. Who are you becoming? Judas never set out to be a traitor, but it's who he became. And over the next couple moments, I want to show you that the signs of Judas going bad showed up long before the bad thing we all know he did. There were signs, there were indicators that Judas was going astray long before the famous moment we would all put our finger at. And the very first one I can find shows up in John chapter 12. Before we go there, let me just kind of set the scene for you real quickly. In John chapter 12, Jesus is sitting at somebody's house. He's sitting at the house of a man named Lazarus. Here's the crazy thing. This is John chapter 12. In John chapter 11, that's the chapter Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. 
And now Jesus in John 12 is now chilling at the house of a man he just resurrected. How baller is Jesus? He's like, I'm going to have tea with a guy who couldn't breathe yesterday. Jesus is baller. Jesus is a true OG. The original God. Come on, somebody. So Jesus is in Lazarus' house, but all of a sudden we find that Lazarus has two sisters. One's name is Martha and the other's name is Mary. And all of a sudden the youngest sister, Mary, she wanders into, the, into, into scene, into view in John chapter 12. And she has with her a vial of perfume. And all of a sudden she walks up to Jesus. Jesus is reclined at the table. Jesus and the disciples and Judas off in the corner. And the Bible says this, that Mary begins to pour this perfume on the feet of Jesus and to make, to make matters infinitely more significant. She begins to clean his feet with her hair. First Corinthians 11, in first Corinthians 11, Paul likens a woman's hair to her glory. The scriptures call the hair of a woman, her glory. You know what this is signifying? She is laying her glory at the feet of Jesus. She's laying her glory. After watching what just happened in John 11, I must lay my glory at the feet of one so miraculous and powerful and supreme. This is what real worship looks like. It costs you something. It costs you something. Some of you think, oh, you're really going to start worshiping when you raise your hands. Okay, that doesn't cost you anything. It costs your neighbor something because you forgot deodorant. All right, real worship. Too close to home, so sorry. I perceive thee to be a prophet. Real worship should cost you something. And all of a sudden, she begins to pour this out on Jesus, wipe his feet with her hair. And all of a sudden, we see Judas. You have to say his name like that. Judas. Fork-tongued Judith. (laughs) Judas is off in the corner. Judas is off in the corner. And this is where all of a sudden, Judas begins to object. Judas says, hold on a second. This perfume is worth 300 denarii. Next verse. 300 denarii. Now let me break this down for you. 300 denarii is a whole year's wages. You would earn on average one denarius a day and the average Jew would end up working 300 days a year, taking off a Sabbath every week. That's 52 Sabbaths a year, plus any other vacation days or sick days. It ends up averaging out to about 300 days of work for the average Jew. This is 300 denarii, one year's wage. And Judas sees, and Judas knows the going rate of a perfume of this price. Judas is in the know. Judas knows how much this perfume costs. Judas knows all the going rates. And Judas says, hold on a second. This perfume costs 300 denarii. And he begins to object that this is a misuse of this perfume. Notice what Judas is implying in objecting to this. He's saying, hold on a second. Hold on, Mary, 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 wait up. Jesus isn't worth that. That's what Judas is implying by saying that this is a misuse of a perfume of this price. He said, hey, I think Jesus is cool too. And I know you're like super grateful for him right now. You're, you're still, it's still very euphoric as to what he did yesterday for your brother. You know, he resurrected him. I get that. Jesus is a cool guy, but he's not worth that. Jesus isn't worth one year is what Judas is saying. And can I be honest with you? I have to agree with Judas. Jesus isn't worth one year. 
He's worth every year. Jesus isn't just worth one year. He is worth year after year after year. And long after you and I have become dust in some dirty old box six feet underground, he will still be worth it. Jesus isn't just worth one year. He's worth everything you've got. And Judas begins to object, saying Jesus isn't worth that. And can I suggest this morning that maybe the reason you are having a hard time following Jesus is because Jesus has lost his worth to you. You will always have a hard time following Jesus when Jesus loses his worth to you. Jesus loses his value to you. You will always have a hard time. And can I tell you where this leads? Jesus losing his worth to you? It leads to you losing your worth to you. Because your worth is intrinsically connected to your worth of Jesus. You know how I know this? The Bible tells me so. Because when God looked down at our depraved state, we were fallen in sin, separated from him eternally forever because of our transgressions. He looked at us in that state and said, what might the price be in order to purchase them out of their depravity, in order to purchase them out of their sin? And lo and behold, the price tag was the blood of his son, Jesus. Evidently, you're worth Jesus. So it's no wonder that when Jesus' worth begins to be diminished, yours does too. You want your self-esteem to go up? Recognize the sufficiency of your Savior. Recognize the height, length, depth, width of the love of God he has for you. Your worth is intrinsically connected to Jesus. And maybe you would say, Kenan, Jesus is worth everything to me. But the church? No. Maybe Jesus has lost his worth because his body has lost his worth to you. You're like, I love Jesus, but I hate his people. I love Jesus, but I hate his kids. May I remind you of what happened in Acts chapter 9? In Acts chapter 9, there's a young man on the back of a, of a horse on his way to a village called Damascus. And Jesus supernaturally shows up in a blinding light to this man. You know him as the Apostle Paul. In this moment, he's not the Apostle Paul. He's the, he's the, he's the persecutor, Saul. He's been persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. He's been throwing Christians in jail left and right, beating them up one side and down the other. And he's on his way to Damascus to do the same. And all of a sudden, a blinding light appears, and it's Jesus himself. And he says this, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you do a little study, you will find that, Paul, that Saul never actually persecuted the tangible, visible, physical body of Jesus. But he was persecuting the church of Jesus Christ. But notice what Jesus says. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my church? Yeah. He doesn't say, why are you persecuting my people? He says, why are you persecuting me? Because Jesus takes it personally how you treat his bride. Jesus takes it personally how you speak about the church. And I'm not saying that we don't call sin, sin. And I'm not saying that we don't hold leadership accountable. The Bible tells that people who do what Pastor Brandon and I do are worth, uh, we, we are doubly accountable. We are doubly accountable first and foremost for how we lead our own life, but then secondly accountable for how we instruct you to lead yours. I'm saying we, we should fact check the pulpit. We should keep leaders in check, but we ought to honor 
the global bride of Christ. And maybe following Jesus has become hard because his body has lost its worth to you. It will become hard to follow Jesus when he's no longer worthy in your eyes. And Judas completely outs himself in this moment. And some of you, you could be an advocate for Judas. And you go, but Kena, 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 Judas ain't being that bad. Judas ain't being that bad. Think about it. He says, let's sell this perfume for the 300 denarii it's worth. And then let's use the money for the poor. Let's give the money to the poor. That's a noble deed. He's trying to push forward the cause of Christ. Jesus came to preach good news to the poor. Judas is trying to do it. Let me tell you a little something. Judas doesn't give a rip about the poor. And you know how I know this? The next verse tells us. Let's look at verse six. He said this, he being Judas, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Listen to me, Judas didn't care about the poor, he cared about his pocket. And Judas is saying, let's feed the poor because he wants to line his pocket. Judas has hidden motives. And it will always become very hard to follow Jesus when you're doing it with hidden motives. Some of us, we follow Jesus because we think, oh, if I follow Jesus, Jesus will rubber stamp my idea. If I follow Jesus, like if I sign up to be one of them Christians, right, and I get, a, I get like a good Bible, and eventually it looks like this. It's all tattered because you've been using, uh, using your scriptures. I always say this. If your Bible's falling apart, your, your life is probably not. But we think, man, if I get a good Bible and I start reading it, I start highlighting it, I cuss a little less and give a little more, then God will rubber stamp my idea. God will get behind my plan. He will bless what I want. And God becomes a means to our end rather than the means and the end. We begin to try to manipulate God. And here's the sick and twisted thing that we do in the American church. We use scripture to allow us because we read the book of Psalms. And Psalms says this, if you delight yourself in the Lord, he will give you the desires of your heart. You know how mistreated that passage of scripture is? So all of a sudden we think, oh, I'll delight myself in God. Look at me, God, I'm getting up an extra 30 minutes every day. I'm spending time in your word. I only listen to Caleb, positive, encouraging Caleb. I only, I only eat a Chick-fil-A, you know God's chicken. I'm doing all these things. I'm delighting myself in the Lord. And then we go, okay, any day now, God's gonna drop the bitly off. Any day, God's going to give me the winning lotto numbers in a dream. Any day now, God's going to give me the desires of my heart. Whoa, 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 you misunderstand. He says this, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you what? Desires. The psalmist is saying, if you delight yourself in the Lord, God will take away the desires that are perverting and killing you and replace them with the desires he has for you. What is God divvying out? Desires. That's what God has for you. He will replace the desires you already have with the desires he has for you. But we use scripture to try to get what we want. And it's our narcissistic, me-centric gospel that has led us to this point. This is a plague and a cancer in the American church. That we have become the main character of the Bible. 
And every, every verse we read, every scripture we memorize, every story we understand and learn about, we're the main character. So we read David and Goliath, and I'm David. And the problem in front of me is my Goliath. I'm not saying that there's not some truth to that. I'm saying it's not the primary truth of David and Goliath. You are not David. You know who is David? He who comes from the lineage of David. It's Jesus. You know who you are in the story of David and Goliath? You're one of the scared to death little Israelites with your knees knocking in the background, helpless until the unlikely shepherd boy comes and does for you what you can't do for yourself. That's the story of David. It's about he who takes down sin, hell, death, and the grave. It's not about you. But our narcissism has taught us everything's about us. I'm the reason. And guess what? It's no wonder it's hard to follow Jesus when we won't even let him be the main character of his own book. It gets really hard to follow Jesus when we've demoted Jesus to an extra and put ourselves in the spotlight. Jesus is the hero of this story, not you. But we have hidden motives. We like to believe that we're David. You know who you are? You're Judas. Trying to follow Jesus, but having hidden motives while you do it. You know, this is ultimately Judas's entire problem, hiding. He keeps everything hidden. Let's think about this for a second. Judas had the best pastor and the best small group there has ever been. He has Jesus and the other disciples. He's got the best community, yet even Judas, with the best pastor and the best small group, went astray. Which tells me you can be in the best church, they're preaching the gospel, they're preaching the truth, you can have some of the best Christians around you, but as long as you stay hidden, if you won't get real, if you won't get vulnerable with who you are becoming, not even heaven can save you. You've got to get honest about where you're at. You've got to get honest about who you're becoming. Judas had hidden motives. One of the next things that we see was a clear sign and indicator that Judas was going bad was that we see him demote the voice of Jesus from an authoritative voice to an advisory voice. We see him rip Jesus of his authority and relegate him to one who can offer advice. And we see this show up clearly in Matthew 26. In Matthew 26, Jesus is at the Last Supper with his disciples. And all of a sudden, Jesus says this. Matthew, no, the next verse, excuse me. Yeah, that's right, that's right, that was right. Excuse me, my bad. And as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And the disciples were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after the other, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? All of a sudden, Jesus drops a bomb. Hey, one of you guys are going to betray me. And I know who it is. And all of a sudden, the disciples go, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? They're popping like popcorn. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? <laughs> Have you ever seen the movie Spartacus? When the, the, the Romans are looking for Spartacus? It's like that. Like, who's Spartacus? Everyone stands up. I'm Spartacus. No, I'm Spartacus. I'm Spartacus. Okay. It's kind of like, I'm an old soul. Okay. Watch the movie. So good. They're all popping. Is it I, Lord? Notice what they're saying. Is it I, Lord? All but Judas. We see Judas's response in verse 25. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, You have said so. 
All the other disciples, all the other 11 say, is it I, Lord? Judas says, is it I, Rabbi? He asks the same question, but he does not address it to the same person. Lord in the Greek is the word kurios. It means one who holds supreme authority. That's what Lord means. He who holds supreme authority. You know what rabbi means? Teacher. He who can offer a tidbit or two. He who has some interesting things to say if you would darken the doorstep of his classroom. That's a rabbi. They can offer advice. They don't hold authority. And this is exactly what Judas has done. He has demoted the voice of Jesus from the authority to he who can offer advice. And that is our problem here in America. Is we have ripped Jesus off the great white throne we find him in in the book of Revelation. You understand there's a thing called the great white throne judgment. And we have taken Jesus off of his great white throne and we've put him in front of our great white board. And we said, Jesus, tutor me. Offer me lessons once a week on how I might be more successful in my own endeavors. How I might feel better about my self-esteem. We've taken the authority and we've defanged and we've declawed the lion of the tribe of Judah. We've ripped his authority away and said, you can only offer me advice. You know what I love? The gospel, you know what it means? The word gospel, it means good news. Good news. Advice is something you need to do. News is all about what's already been done. I'm so thankful that Jesus didn't wait around to see if I'd take his advice before he got up on a cross and died for my sins. Jesus doesn't offer advice. He holds authority. But he can't hold authority over your life if you won't recognize it. And Judas demoted the voice of Jesus from authoritative to advisory over time. And all of a sudden we see Jesus say this to Judas, you have said it. And this is where I land the plane. Judas in this moment gets up from the table, having been outed, and he leaves the room. And the Bible says that in this moment, Satan entered him. Read your Bible, it's what it says. In this moment, Satan entered him. Can I tell you that still happens today? You are a fool. If you don't believe in demonic possession, you are a fool and you are a prime candidate for it. Moving right along. All of a sudden, Satan entered him, and the Bible says this, that he goes before the high priest, and he says, hey, I'll give you Jesus if you give me a certain amount of silver. If you give me a certain amount of silver, I'll give you Jesus. They said, name your price. He says, 30 pieces of silver, and Judas hands Jesus over for silver. Here's the crazy thing. There was a prophetic foreshadowing of this in the book of Genesis, in the life of Joseph. Joseph, in the book of Genesis, is sold into slavery, betrayed into slavery for a certain amount of silver. Here's where it gets crazier. Which brother's idea was it to sell him into slavery? His brother, Judah. You know what Judas is Greek for? Judah. It's the same name. 
Bible prophesied that this would happen. There was prophetic foreshadowing. And guess what? Though they sold Joseph into slavery over time, God raised him up to the right hand of Pharaoh. Sound similar? Jesus has been raised up to the right hand of the Father where he sits and makes intercession for you today. And guess why he has been put in that place? To save the very people who sent him into slavery. It's all the gospel. The whole Bible preaches this message. But Judas Silver turns Jesus for a certain amount of silver and they make their way into the night and all of a sudden the high priests find Jesus in the garden and Judas has told them this, I will show you who it is because I'll give him a kiss on the cheek. And I have wondered over and over why Judas chose a kiss as the sign. And I've got my speculations, but I do know it shows us this. Judas betraying Jesus with a kiss shows us that not everybody who looks like they are loving on Jesus actually is. Not everybody who looks like they're loving on Jesus actually is. You can be kissing the face of Jesus and be betraying him in your heart. That's what this proves. So all of a sudden, Judas betrays him. They seize Jesus, and they bring him before the high priest, Caiaphas. And all of a sudden, they get him into the Caiaphas court, and they put a blindfold on Jesus. And next thing you know, they're punching him in the face. And they say, prophesy who hit you, Jesus. If you're the Messiah, prophesy who just hit you in the face. And Jesus stands there with all authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. That's what Philippians tells us he has. All authority in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. And he stands there and utters not a word. He stands there quiet and still. So the high priest gets done with him. They lead him before Pontius Pilate. And as Pontius Pilate is assessing the situation, all of a sudden the crowds outside of Pontius Pilate court begin to chant, crucify him! Crucify him! Kill him! Crucify him! Here's the crazy thing. The same people yelling, crucify him, moments ago, days ago, were shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna in the highest, prepare the way of the Lord. Lay down your olive branches. Lay down your palm branches. Lay down your jackets. They were preparing the way of the Lord on Palm Sunday. And a week later, five days later to be exact, that same crowd is yelling, crucify him. Be careful of your relationship with the crowd. They'll turn on you in a second. So all of a sudden they're screaming, crucify him. And Pilate doesn't know what to do, but to give him what they want. He's worried that a riot's going to break out. So he washes his hands of Jesus's blood. And here's what, here's the crazy thing. The rabbis say, the Pharisees say, they say, let his blood be upon us and our children. They didn't realize what they were asking for. That's actually the best thing that can happen. Is that the blood of Jesus be applied to you? But they're saying, let his blood be upon us and our children. And Pilate gives them what they want. And he he sentences him to death via crucifixion. And your Bible says this. This is why you got to read it. It's so interesting. The Bible says that when Judas heard the sentence that Jesus had been condemned to death and the death of a crucifixion, the Bible says that Judas had a change of heart. That all of a sudden Judas was full of regret. He never thought he was betraying Jesus to Jesus's demise. He thought Jesus would spend a few days in jail, get roughed up a little bit, and would be back on the streets healing people before you know it, and his pockets would be lined a little bit better. He never thought he was betraying him to his death. 
And all of a sudden, Judas hears that Jesus is going to be crucified. And your Bible says this, that he grabs the 30 pieces of silver and he goes back before Caiaphas, the high priest, and he says, I've betrayed innocent blood. I've betrayed him. And he threw the money down. And Caiaphas looks at this man full of regret and he says, what is it to me? I got what I want. You take your money and go. And Judas throws the money down and he leaves the temple and he goes and he hangs himself over what he's done. Saddest part of the whole story. Judas recognizes the severity of his sin and the only logical explanation to a sin this egregious, to a sin of this magnitude in Judas's mind is that I've got to die for what I've done. So he takes a rope, goes into the potter's field is what we find out later in scripture it's called. The Old Testament prophesied yet again that this would happen. And Judas hangs himself in a tree. And here is the eerie irony of this moment. While Judas is hanging himself in a tree to pay for his sins, Jesus is just miles away, hanging on a tree to pay for Judas' sin. We've got Judas hanging from a tree. All the while, provision is being made to cover the very sin Judas is trying to pay penance for. And I wanted to tell you this morning, maybe following Jesus isn't working because of how you keep handling your mistakes. Maybe following Jesus isn't working because you keep taking the punishment into your own hands. You look at what you've done, and though you have surveyed the cross, you say it's not enough. I've got to pay for it. So you even, you emotionally or even sometimes physically beat yourself. Some of you, you bear scars on your hips and on your wrists from the ways that you've tried to pay for your sins. For the ways that you feel all messed up inside. Can I tell you why you feel messed up inside? You were born in sin. Conceived in iniquity is what David called it. And the only way out of that is not to pay for it yourself. It's to recognize it's already paid for. May I remind you, Jesus was already beaten for that sin. You don't need to beat yourself up. Some of you talk so badly about yourself when you sin. You call yourself all sorts of names. You belittle yourself. You mock yourself. Can I remind you, Jesus was already mocked and jeered for the very sin you are beating yourself up for? The question is today, is Jesus enough? And unlike Judas, you have a moment where you get to decide. Judas didn't know that his sin was being paid for, but you do. And here's what I wish I could have told Judas, but I wasn't there and Judas was all alone. If you wait a second, if you go back to Jesus, he'll forgive you. You know how I know Jesus would have forgiven Judas? I'm, I'm sure of it. You know how I know? He forgave Peter. Peter did the same thing. In fact, I think you could argue Peter, did, Peter was worse. Peter betrayed Jesus for free. He betrayed him for free. 
Judas had to be paid. Peter did it gladly three times for free. And yet Jesus restores Peter. Go read John 21. He doesn't wait for Peter to show up. Jesus shows up on the shore of a sea Peter is fishing in, having made a beachside breakfast, invites Peter over to the campfire and restores him alongside a campfire. You know why he did it next to a campfire? Peter denied him next to a campfire. Jesus is redeeming even the scent of smoke so that at the, sm- at the scent of smoke, it doesn't trigger shame, guilt, and condemnation. It triggers the thought of grace. It triggers the thought of mercy. Jesus restores it all. And I wish I could tell Judas this, but I can't, so I'm telling you. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you've betrayed Jesus. I don't care how recently you've betrayed Jesus. He'll take you back. Come to the foot of the cross. But here's the thing. You have to repent. It's not just this thing of, oh, yay, I get to hear a good sermon. I guess Jesus has forgiven me. No, you have to repent. This is why so many of us, our relationship with God has lost its teeth. It's because we've let go of repentance. God's calling you to repent this morning. Some of you need to literally repent for the life you've been living, for the choices you've been making. And I can tell you right now, if you'll repent, he will pour the grace out. He is infinitely better at forgiving than you are at sinning. He will pour, the Bible says this, where sin does abound, grace does more abound. There's more grace than you have sin. But yes, some of you insist on paying for it yourself. Thank you for listening to this message from Celebration Church. You can keep up with all that God is doing here at Celebration by following us on Facebook and Instagram.